Hello and welcome to the End-Stage Renal Disease Treatment Choices Learning Collaborative, or ETCLC, podcast series. In these episodes, we'll hear from transplant, donation, and organ procurement organization professionals as they share their experiences, data-proven interventions, and lessons learned as we collectively strive toward our national aims for more kidneys transplanted and fewer kidneys discarded. Let me switch to the topic of hospital relationships and what we have a ton of hospital partners on this call today. And I'm sure at this point they're saying, what can I do to help these awesome young men uh, get to yes with their families? So maybe let me start with you, Bobby. Um, You know, we, what, what can our hospital partners be doing with, with us to help us uh, get to yes with these families? Uh, I think one of the biggest things that our hospital uh, colleagues can do is to be more aware of what's going on with that family. And what I mean by that is, I know you have a job to do and your job is to help save lives, but also being astute to what's going on with this family, um, being uh, paying more attention, um, being more involved. One of the things that I hear so much is that the hospital doesn't care. The hospital doesn't care. And one of the things that that I think is real important that if there's a lot of community things that are going on for hospital staff, sometimes to get out of your comfort zone and get involved in some of the things that's going on in the community, because we still have to meet people where they are. You know, hospitals are viewed as one place, but the community is viewed as something different. I always look at it as that we build a lot of things. We ask people to come, but we don't build and take it to the people. That's a great point. Kevin, can I jump in there? Because I think that if we look at this as a community service, right, our, there are members of our community, and Stephen talked about dual advocacy, that we need our hospital partners to help us. And the best way they can do that is to create a culture of donation within their institution. So we're talking about authorization, but a culture of donation means that the hospital participates in Donate Life, and they promote donation awareness and registration within their staff but also in their community. And that for the providers, that they understand the importance of collaboration with the OPO from the time of recognition. So when we get that initial referral, that's not a checkbox. That's our first opportunity to begin to identify what this family's needs are. Um, You know, as talented as Rodney, Stephen, and, and, and Michael are, you know, they're not, they don't have a crystal ball and they're not mind readers. So, so, you know, we don't know what background about this family at the hospital might know, and we can mitigate some of those things that cre- create distractions for the family to embrace the opportunity that we're offering. But a lot of times we have five or six days to solve them because we get a referral on Monday and oftentimes brain death doesn't occur for 48, 72 or more hours down the road. And we could mitigate a lot of the family distractions that would allow them to make a donation decision if our hospitals would help us to build cultures of donation where we collaborate to recognize every single opportunity. And to chime in on that, and those are great points, Kenny. Yeah, you know, there are some there are some granular things that can take place, right? Like a patient that may have potential for organ donation not being extubated in the ER and being transferred up to the ICU. Um, you know, certain buzzwords and phrases that sometimes are shared with families, like multi-system organ failure, or he or she is suffering, or you know, he or she is in kidney failure. Um, you know, when these are shared with the family where that patient has potential to be a donor, 
we get in front of that family, offer donation, and they're looking at us saying, this guy, you, you know, you're talking about this guy. Uh, we were just told that his organs are failing. And so I think, you know, there, there can be some work around the sort of language that is used with families when trying to, to paint that grim prognosis that doesn't include some of those uh, phrases and buzzwords that I just shared. Um, and in addition, you know, I think Kenny also hit the nail on the head with this, is that knowing what's going on with that family, who the key players are, uh, you know, legal next of kin may not be the decision maker in that family. And so, yes, certainly um, the, our hospital partners are extremely busy, high acuity, all of these things, but as best they can, if they could make sure that they get this information uh, so that we can have it. It really does bode well for us when we interact um, with our potential donor families. That's a great point. You know, I think um, I think back to some of our challenging cases over the years and, and, and hospitals that were ill-prepared for, you know, large families, um, noisy families, um, you know, families that maybe were disrupting their ICUs, uh, we really struggled to make donation happen. And conversely, hospitals that had policies and um, people that were, um, you know, culturally aware and could communicate and manage uh, challenging family dynamics, uh, we really did a lot better. And I think, you know, that was that was my observation, at least. Kevin, can, can I share one? Ahead, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, you know, last week I spent some time at the Black Nurse Association National Conference here in Atlanta, and the number of nurses that I talked to who were not supportive of donation, it was a lot of nurses. So once again, we have to make sure because hospital staff, they're human beings and they're people, they live in the community just as well. So we also have to do a better job of explaining and working with our hospital partners on the whole process. As Kenny keeps alluding to, it's a process, it's a process. So if you're not on board as an individual, sometimes that derails how we work with those families. So it's vitally important that we do tremendous work with the hospital staff to have an understanding to separate your personal feelings from your professional obligation. And that's a big role that I think that really needs improvement on. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, there was a question in the chat about uh, what does your pre-approval huddle look like? And I think I'm just going to stretch that out a little bit more and talk about, you know, what is what is a, a good performing hospital um, from your guys' experience? What What is it that they're doing with you um, in that in that pre-approach huddle? Um, and, and how can we, how can we get our hospital partners to replicate that behavior? And maybe, uh, I'll go back to Rodney and start with you on that one. Yeah, I, I would say that, um, you know, in, in addition to, um, language and, and, um, you know, working with our hospital partners to, to understand, you know, the processes, I, I really think back to our, our best performing hospitals. What is a consistent theme is that we've got really good relationships. You know, we've got people who are passionate um, about uh, donation and, and, and doing right by each family. They, they believe in the mission. Um, and so that's great. I also think that um, if we, uh, for the OPO, what we can do is we can, you know, really start to try our best to really be intentional. To, to not only build those relationships, but try our best to maintain those relationships. And a lot of that requires us to uh, 
you know, when a, when a case goes well, you know, share share those outcomes with the hospitals. When a, when a case goes bad, um, own our part in uh, what maybe we could have done better. Um, I think um, hospitals are stressed and to the max, and you know we're we're one piece, small piece of of, of what they they do um, on a daily basis. And I think um, whenever you uh, show sincerity and and they feel that you're actually uh, there to uh, not only uh, make donation happen, but we're actually there to support uh, and support the families alongside of them, but also there to support them. In any way that we can, I think that those things uh, cultivate a culture where, um, in our experience, hospitals really do want to work with us. But they need to know uh, what happens beyond uh, us going to the OR. I think they need the, to know what the, what were those outcomes? What was uh, the the purpose of me uh, coming in at ten at night or staying beyond my shift to help out? You know, what what was me trying to fit in the needs of of, of uh, you know, extending another day to wait for brain death tests. And what was the outcomes of, of that? I think really circling back and making sure that we are inviting our hospital partners to be a part of the experience. So to your point of pre-approach huddles, it's really, it really is a, about um, making uh, plans together. Um, I was doing a training with my team yesterday and I said, you know, I never ever uh, end a conversation without saying to the provider, to the nurse, to the chaplain, to the social worker, every conversation I end, it always ends with, and how, how does that plan sound to you? How do you feel about that? I always wanna bring it back to, I want you to come with me. I want you to feel like you have a say-so um, because everything that we do, we, we, all, we must remember that you know it's not our house, right? It's their house and we're guests. And, and I want to be, I want them to know how much I respect them when I enter a room to talk to a family that I'm, I'm talking to their family too. So Kevin, can uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Rodney. I was gonna ask Kevin, can I amplify that? I, in a perfect world, there's more than one huddle. So the pre-approach huddle is something that that's our absolute last chance to coordinate our interaction. But in a perfect world, we huddled when we got the initial referral and we laid out a, a pathway because we're the experts. And Rodney said this, you know, less than 1% of all people die in a way that allows them to be an organ donor. Uh, and this process is a complex but infrequent process. So our hospital partners, even our busiest hospitals, don't get the muscle memory. So the initial huddle to lay out this pathway, to remind them about the importance of grave prognosis and coordinated family uh, discussions and interaction lead up so that the approach huddle doesn't have to incorporate all these other things. It really is about that point of service moment to transition to the OPO and for us to have a donation discussion with them. And I know Stephen's gonna add to that, so I'm gonna go ahead and, and lean to him. Thank you. And I, I mean, I think you summed it up best. And certainly Rodney is always uh, is, is almost poetic uh, when he speaks about, uh, you know, how to not only build, but maintain um, a good relationship with your hospitals. Sharing gift, gift disposition certainly uh, is, is a key part to that. But I think, you know, most importantly, um, when things don't go well, being able to hash it out and take onus on on our part you know what we could have done better and also share how we plan to get better how we you know what have we put in place to prevent whatever issue that did come up uh from from um from occurring again so well said
Thank you for listening to this episode of the ETCLC podcast series. We encourage you to steal shamelessly, as we say, any recommendations and best practices shared by the presenters and their organizations. We encourage you to listen to our other podcasts that help support and improve your transplant work. Also visit our LinkedIn page, ETCLC. Follow us on X, formerly Twitter, at ETCLC1, and check out our YouTube channel for more resources available at esrd etclc